Hello everyone and welcome back to the monthly video game briefing, the summer edition. Uh, I'm Patrick Beja, he is Scott Johnson. Hey Scott. Hey, it's time to party. It's the summer. Get out your cans and go to town. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> I don't know either. But what I do know is that uh, this is likely to be the only episode of the summer because we usually do this once, once a month. But as a dirty socialist European, I will probably be off uh, on vacation when we should do the next one. And this summer is usually a little bit uh, more quiet in every area. So we figured we'll see, you know, if something incredible happens we might uh, shift our decision. But uh, as it stands, we're going to be talking about the games of summer, which are mostly in July. We're going to be talking about the games we played in the past few weeks. And um, I wrote last week an article basically summarizing thoughts I've had and I've expressed here and there about uh, all the components that are making the next generation of consoles and of gaming, really. What gaming is going to become maybe over the course of the next uh, few years. So we'll dive into that and uh, we'll discuss with Scott and Scott can tell me where he thinks I am completely full of it. So I count on you, Scott, to call my uh, errors. All right, my con my contrarian uh, wand is at the ready and I'm happy to slash it in, uh, right in front of your face. All right, excellent. Well, keep it sheathed for a few more minutes because first we're going to be talking about the games, the major games that are coming out in the next few weeks. And uh, of course, as we always do, summarize this and everything we talk about in a way that will be hopefully attractive to people who enjoy gaming, but from afar a little bit, who are the way we say it is this is gaming news for occasional gamers. It's not gaming news for the hardcore, the people who need to know everything single thing about every little detail of every single game, uh, but rather people who are interested, but who just want the things that are important. And part of that is the games that are coming out soon. And maybe uh, you want to know if you're, uh, if you should pay attention to them. So let's start with July 14th in um, just a week and a half from now, Dragon Quest Builders 2 is coming out on the Nintendo Switch and the Sony PlayStation 4. What is Dragon Quest Builders 2, you might ask? And uh, I guess an easy answer is the Square Enix, the developer, version of Minecraft. I don't know that this is accurate to the detailed level, but overall, it is uh, Square Enix's attempt at that genre. Have you played Dragon Quest Builders 1, Scott? Um, a little bit. I dabbled in it. My my impression coming away from it was that they were attempting to take the building aspect and crafting aspect that is Minecraft, um, and 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 voxel aspect. You know, everything sort of in a in a cube uh, grid world where you know that's that's just how it's constructed. All of those things are definitely lifted from Minecraft, but it was way more focused on questing and story and turning that into less of a sandbox and more of a narrative experience but using some of those same mechanics and tropes so uh it was okay i mean I'm, I'm not a giant minecraft fan to begin with so that sort of thing doesn't really jump out at me necessarily um but it uh it did seem to accomplish its goal of being a more story driven fantasy based version of what is essentially kind of a you know a minecraft build stuff dig around craft things find materials sort of game 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's what you can expect. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of it yet, but uh, definitely the first one was that... Uh, narrative, more easy to get into gameplay wrapper around what is essentially a Minecraft uh, genre game. Minecraft might be a little bit jarring to, to some players because you're dumped into a um, server. And yes, there are things you can do and it's relatively easy to figure out. But if you're not uh, necessarily, if you don't want to go by yourself and need a little bit more guidance, this is what Dragon Quest Builders is trying to achieve. And by all accounts, the second episode episode is um, cor correcting a lot of what was missing in the first one. It started development right after the first one came out, um, and that wasn't such a long time ago. It was maybe three years ago. And so it's a, a significant upgrade over the first one. So I think it's a game that some people who... Um, are maybe interested in Minecraft and maybe have children who are interested in it but want a more guided experience and the characters are a little bit more, um, uh, well, better characterized, I guess. They have, they're more uh, expressive and they have a lot of, as you said, there's the story aspect. Um, I think it's a good midway point between Minecraft and its freedom and a completely uh, different type of game that is just an adventure. So I think it's something to consider. Of course, as always, wait for the reviews, check out what uh, journalists say about it before taking the jump. But it's kind of a, a in a unique position. Uh, Minecraft is a very unique game. There are very few games like it. And Dragon Quest uh, Builders manages to carve its own... It's not even a niche. It's a niche next to the one of Minecraft. So, yeah, it's something to pay attention to if you're into it. Yeah, it's, it's worth looking at. I think I, I kind of wish it was more multi-platform fact that it's only switch and ps2 is a little bit of a bummer i think that'd be a fun ps4 pc game or ps4 is what i meant uh that'd be a i think that'd be a good pc game experience and i kind of wish it was there maybe it'll end up there but um possible yeah. but yeah these, uh, if you're if you own one of those two platforms i guess you're in luck on july 14th and a week, not even a week after that, five days later, July 19th, uh, another Switch game, uh, exclusive, uh, that one, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Um, so, of course, there is a lot of hype around Marvel properties at the moment. Uh, Ultimate Alliance 3 is a Switch-exclusive game that is, uh, as the name suggests, the third in a series of games. Um, the, the last one came out in 2010, I believe. It was a really long time ago. Maybe not exactly 2010, but a while ago. And uh, essentially, it is a top-down view um, action-adventure maybe not even adventure, just an action game. Um, I, I think the closest analog you can think of in pure moment-to-moment uh, -moment gameplay mechanics would be something like a Diablo, except, of course, you can play... I think almost all of the characters of the the main characters of the Marvel roster. There are like dozens of characters you can play. Um, it is not a immensely high profile game it is very arcadey um but i think it might be fun for some people who are again looking for that marvel fix in gaming uh, that they might not get anywhere else uh, at that during that period um what do you think i agree um it's very much like a at the time anyway so okay so let me back up a little bit october 2006 was the first game uh, you didn't get a sequel until 2009, so that was the date you were looking for for the most recent one. Uh, that would have been a PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 uh, game. There, I don't believe that ended up anywhere else. Um, the first one had an incredible following. 
and people just loved that thing. And uh, the second one, uh, not quite as warm a reception, but it did. Okay. I mean, it was popular and sold well. I'm a little surprised how long it took them to do it. Like we have the entirety of the MCU period with like hardly any big Marvel crossover games, despite the fact that they're just killing it in theaters with a big giant crossover. So I, I it's it boggles my mind that that and this other Square game based on the Avengers isn't you know took this long to come out. Like we had to wait for ten years of of MCU to finish before right. they the, do it. But anyway. the, the Square game just for to to. Uh, um, uh, remind people it's coming out in 2020 and that is a big profile uh, uh, you know high profile triple a uh, uh, narrative slash service game um, so that's the, the big uh, cannon bolt that you're looking for this one is more I don't know how to describe it really it's uh, more niche maybe it's a little more niche I mean it used to be I would have called it AAA in 2009. I think now the sequel is being seen as a, a, you know, fans are excited about it, but it's not, it's not a huge marquee release. Um, but if you like sort of top down ish um, action RPGs in the vein of something like Diablo or um, uh, back in the day, there was a really great uh Baldur's Gate, I forgot the name of it, but it was basically a spin-off on console that was played played a lot like Diablo as an action RPG. Um, if you like that sort of thing, that's what these are. And Ultimate Alliance 3 looks good. Um, I have some concerns. It uh, the videos they've showed of it, they showed of it at E3 just seemed a little on the choppy side. And I can't tell, and it was so quick edit that I couldn't really tell if they were trying to hide something, if it was too early of a build, if they hadn't optimized yet, or what the deal was. Um, you know, the Switch isn't the most powerful hardware in the world, so uh, some concerns, but actually very much looking forward to this game. I loved the first game, just loved it. It was so mm. great. How, uh, the second game how, had issues, but the first game was amazing. How would you say uh, the, 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 the joy of the game divides between actual uh, quality gameplay and the fun of having the characters of, you know, the beloved Marvel characters to play with. Um, my question, you know, meaning, is it an average game or the first one, was it an average game gameplay wise, but it was so fun because it was Marvel or was it a good game period? And you had the bonus of having the superheroes uh, to play with. That's a great question. And I think, our particular listeners will be happy to hear, at least in the first game's case, it was an incredibly well-made game that almost just happened to have the Marvel skin on it. Not that that was an afterthought. It's certainly well integrated. The story was, you know, all tied together well and all that stuff. But the gameplay was really, really good. I think that's what made it stand apart. And you got to remember too, back in 2006 and behind, there was really no such thing as a good movie or a comic tie-in like video games were terrible when they were tied into movies or comics or television or any of that stuff they were usually very very bad and uh this really broke that mold in my opinion and was just a great video game uh we've come a long way too like there are plenty of good tie-in video games these days it doesn't feel like just throwaway trashware anymore and uh hopefully this can live up to its legacy because that first game was just a meaty fun. I remember just how great it felt to fight stuff in melee with a Hulk or, you know, pulling Hawkeye or somebody out to do ranged mm. uh, kind of damage. And it just felt good. So I hope cool. that feel, that feeling of like, you know, just,
meaty combat uh, returns because that was really important and it felt really good there hopefully it feels really good in 2019 all right well we'll uh, wait for the reviews uh, again to check out what's happening there i think it's in a good position because Again, there are a lot of games games coming out, but um, it is perfect on the Switch to take uh, on vacation with you, and uh, it's it's kind of a well thought out, uh, I guess, release and uh, uh, moment for that game. Um, for that next game uh, coming out on July twenty six, um, I would like to ask you, Scott, do you enjoy in games, of course? Um, stabbing strangling punching shooting or otherwise maiming and uh murdering nazis i do i think that nazis uh murdering otherwise maiming or you know destroying destroying nazis in various ways in video games is really one of the great pastimes of my life <laughs> well i have good news for you uh because on july 26 wolfenstein youngblood is coming out and uh that started out at least in in consumers minds as a kind of an extension an expansion pack for wolfenstein 2 which came out last year i believe um yes. And in actuality, it is a full-blown game with uh, Bethesda claiming it is longer than any other Wolfenstein game they have uh, played, they have uh, developed. Um, it is. Uh, it has one thing that is specific to it. You play the two. Oh, maybe I'll I'll set up the. Um, I'll explain that that description about killing Nazis. Wolfenstein is a series of game that first came out a long time ago, but was rebooted a few years ago. And uh, the premise is that you play uh, B.J. Blaskovitz, who is a soldier who um, inhabits a world where the Nazis have won World War II and have subsequently uh, invaded and occupied uh, the United States and a lot of other countries. Um, he fought them in many different ways. And in this uh, title, you play as his two twin daughters who are fighting Nazis in Paris. And playing the two daughters allows for the game gameplay mechanic of co-op to be easily implemented. So the game is probably going to be best played um, with two people, although you can play with an AI partner if you don't have someone to play with you, which might be my case. Um, the, the setting is um, really well done and portrayed and the narrative aspects of it have been one of the strong aspects of the games um of the previous games and this one looks like a um a, a good it may be not incredibly innovative uh, innovative but a good uh, uh episode of the wolfenstein series I don't know if there's a lot more to say about that. It's coming out on all platforms, essentially, even the Switch. I, I noticed all of the games we're talking about today are, are available on the Switch, some of them being exclusives. But uh, yeah. So but it's almost like the Switch has been very popular and successful. <laughs> I think for. Some of these games have no right being there. <laughs> like, it's yeah, like, I mean, Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein really is not going to be your best possible experience on the switch it's a triple a first person shooter game um and probably not going to play best on switch but the previous ports that um 
uh, from Bethesda, Doom and Wolfenstein, the other ones, uh, have been playable. Uh, Panic Button, I believe, is the studio that made those ports, and they're creating some kind of voodoo magic there because uh, they're making things that didn't seem possible uh, with the Switch. But it's still obviously not going to be as good as on any other console or on PC. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I kind of I am looking forward to this one. A lot of people really came away from E3 singing its praises, said that it's it really came together, that it's uh, awesome. I don't know how much co-op I'll do either. So that's the only part that really gives me any pause. It's not that you can't, like you said, you can have a, a smart AI person with you and that'll do just fine. You'll get all the puzzles through and all of that. But part of me is like, do I want to play a game that's supposedly best played in co-op if I'm not going to play it that way? I have this I have this conundrum every time a good co-op game comes out. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence on this one. But um, this is one of those I'll wait for reviews. We'll see what people are saying. If they, if they rave about it like they did the previous two, I'll probably end up getting it. Mm. And, and on PC, I should mention, I think that's going to be the place to play that if you can. Yeah, it is definitely. I loved Wolfenstein One and Wolfenstein Two, um, some of the best games of the past uh, few years. On this one, I'm a little bit like you. The the co-op, I'm thinking, but it's supposed to be played co-op, and I usually don't. So maybe we should unite forces and go fight Nazis in Paris at appropriate uh, times for both our time zones, Scott. Yeah, maybe we should do it together instead yeah. of, you know, the old days it was uh, you come over to my house and sit on my couch, which, you know, isn't very convenient for you in France or wherever <laughs> you're at at the moment. And so I, you know, like we live in the internet day. Let's do it. Why yeah. not? Let's uh, make sure. I, I have... Go ahead. No, I was going to say the I, the only thing I need to do is uh, have someone take care of my little one because in July in in uh, Finland there is no daycare. So Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. What's that? Why is that a thing? What happens there? Well, I mean, we could, it's, it's a very small daycare center at a village nearby. We could go to another one, but then he's not used to them. And uh, so, yeah, July we're... We, we have the it's vacation time for for well, the little one that's awesome a whole village on vacation is uh <laughs> they always say it takes a village i guess it really does <laughs> in this case it takes a village to send the baby back home <laughs> for a month um all right let's talk about the games we have actually played in the past few weeks and again as i mentioned a lot of uh, switch games there it's not like we did it on purpose it's just the way it happened um and and also uh, a couple of Game Pass uh, games that we'll talk about. Um, the first one I want to mention is Cadence of Hyrule, which is Switch, Switch exclusive. Um, it is, if you haven't played Crypt of the Necrodancer, this game might be an interesting introduction to the mechanics of that game. So Crypt of the Necrodancer, an indie game that came out a few years ago, um, boiling it down, it is uh, it uses an interesting rhythm mechanic where you have a top-down down view, uh, pixel uh, retro look, and you can only move, well, it is best to move or uh, make an action on the beat of the music and that mixes um combat movement and puzzle solving and um uh, rhythm games so 
the guess is that some people at Nintendo really enjoyed that game and went to see their developer and said, hey, wouldn't you like to make a Zelda game? And that's exactly what they did. And I think a lot of people expected it to be a uh, Zelda uh, look for Crypt of the Necrodancer. It ended up being a much more ambitious uh, game. It's not a very ambitious game. It's relatively short and it's uh, uh, relatively uh, uh, indie still, but it is a Zelda game first and a Crypt of the Necrodancer systems using Zelda game uh, second. That might be a little bit exaggerated, but essentially it's a Zelda game that moves and feels like Crypt of the Necrodancer with the rhythm um, mechanic. So it's completely done from zero actual full game, not just using uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer maps and, and enemies and anything like that. So yeah, it's a brand new game. It's good. Yeah. I bought it. It's great. I think it's um <clears throat> I loved Necrodancer in the first place. I thought it was a really inventive, interesting, sort of roguelike twist um combination of weird mechanics and rhythm games and stuff like that. I already really liked that, but I was surprised how much I liked this. My only real complaint about this is the difficulty here is way lower. And perhaps that's just a you know, I don't know, a Nintendo thing and they just they want this to be more accessible or something. Um, so it's not as hard, but it's it's the kind of thing you breeze through and just smile at. Like it's just a, it's adorable. The the music is like great remixes of Zelda music that you've heard for decades, uh, and just really creative arrangements and that sort of thing. I think it's a delightful twenty four dollar experience that uh, people should give it give it a try i'm not i'm not necessarily saying it's a gateway drug to the full necro dancer experience for some it may be but it stands on its own it's it's super unique and i think it's great that nintendo even did this yeah, I, I um, second everything you said, with the exception of the um, the fact that it's too easy. For me, it was actually a little bit hard. I haven't finished it, um, but I did die quite a few times. I think I didn't play ne Necrodancer as much as you did, um, so it was a little bit difficult to get into it. Once I did, it was okay, but even if you don't, there is a mode that is fixed beat mode, which where the beats don't matter as much, um, and you can get through it, and you're right. It is a Nintendo thing. They want it to be accessible, and it is. And I think that's a great uh, uh, thing for people who might not be into the more hardcore aspects of uh, that mechanic. Um, and if you are, just go get Crypto the Necrodancer as well. It's on the Switch 2. I bought it on promo at 3 bucks uh, when Cadence of Hyrule came out. So uh, oh, I'm ready. I a deal for that. That's good. It's a yeah. good price. Yeah. Um, I have that on phone. I have that on. Uh, I have it on phone. I have it on Switch. I have it on PC, and I have it on something else. Yeah, I had it on PC as well. I mean, that's the rule with the Switch, right? You you rebuy every game you had somewhere else because they're on the Switch. So that's uh, so true. I hate that. Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> well, it's great for the Switch, uh, but it is sometimes a little bit of a trap, uh, as is in the case of uh, Bloodstained: Ritual of the Night, which is another game. Uh, I played it. Did you play it, Scott? I did not play Ritual of the Night. I've been doing right. a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, it is. So uh, it is a game that was kickstarted a few years ago uh, that promised a Castlevania type game, uh, more specifically Castlevania um, uh, Symphony, Symphony of the Night. Of the night right. right. Yeah. 
which is a legendary uh, Castlevania game. That's where uh, one of the two halves of the Metrovania, uh, Metroidvania um, genre, um, where it's a platformer and you go from one place to another, uh, getting items that allow you to progress further and further into the space you're exploring. Um, mm. Castlevania Symphony of the Night was is revered, um, and there haven't really been any games that uh, have kind of followed in its footsteps in the... Uh, there are, of course, a lot of Metroidvania games in all sorts of shapes and sizes and forms, but not exactly in that um, style. And... Um, uh, Koji Igarashi, I think, is the name of the uh, creator of that game. And he ha he had a big hand in uh, the creation of Symphony of the Night. And he launched a Kickstarter essentially promising, I will make that again um, because no one else is doing it. So if you want it, uh, fund the Kickstarter. Kickstarter was very successful. I actually participated. Um, and so I got my copy of the game when it came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. The main game, the, 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 the game came out initially on PlayStation 4 and PC, I believe, maybe even on, on Xbox, um, and a week later on the Switch. And I suspected that with a week's delay, it might mean that the Switch version is uh, a little bit less uh, uh, polished. And indeed, it is a, a little bit and a lot less polished. Um, the, the textures are a lot less well, have a lower definition. It looks kind of bad. There is uh, frames, uh, uh, fluidity issues. Um, the game itself on the other platforms is really good. On the Switch, it's really good, but it doesn't look good. Um, and the surprising thing is that for me, it doesn't deter uh, from me enjoying it. Um, I completely acknowledge its faults. Um, I completely acknowledge that the only reason I got it for the Switch is that, as we said, if it's available on the Switch, then that's where I want it. Because if I ever want to go somewhere and still play the game, I, I want to be able to do that. Um, but it, it is still immensely enjoyable. And the way I put it, I won't spend too much time on it, but the way I put it is this is exactly what Igarashi promised. It is a, a Castlevania Symphony of the Night, not remake, uh, but... It, it could be Castlevania Symphony of the Night 2, almost. And there are a lot of systems. It's not just reusing all of the things that were in the, in the original game. Um, it does kind of reuse everything, but it also adds a lot of things that make it a, a little bit different and uh, quite interesting. I won't go into those details, but um, yeah, I think it's a really good game, even on the Switch with all of these issues. They promised they would work on them and that they would fix them. I can imagine them fixing the issues of uh, frames per second. I can't imagine they will increase the fidelity of the textures, so it will still look blurry and kind of ugly on a big TV. Um, it looks fine on the small screen, though. So, yeah, if, if that's what you're looking for, if you know what Castlevania is... Um, I think this is a good buy. Um, if you don't know what it is that, and you're curious, maybe go get on a platform uh, the Castlevania game, which, by the way, is one of the games will, with gold free games on the Xbox this month or next month. So that's good timing as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like it. I played a few hours and it's, it's well done. 
I feel like I I keep being tempted. I haven't pulled the trigger partly because I've played so many Metroidvania style games in recent years. Um, it's become quite the fad to make a game that's a lot like those old classics. Um, that I feel like I'm a little burnt out on them, and to hear that there's one that's like you know a, a more spiritual successor to the actual thing is enticing but i i don't know i, I just haven't decided yet I mean, yeah i think my- then it's not for you it is yeah. incredibly similar to the original one uh, it, it's as i said the promise was we'll make that again and modernize it a little bit um they kept their promise they made that again and modernized well, it uh, i like it. hearing that they did that at least i mean that's what fans wanted so yeah yeah well the, you know the the dialogue is corny the acting isn't great uh there's the animations are passable like don't go in and expect a a super uh, uh manicured gaming experience that's important to know but um and and you played another switch game i didn't play um and i'm curious about mario maker 2 yeah so Mario Maker 2 came out last week, last Friday, and uh, it was a no-brainer for me. I knew I was going to get it the minute they announced it because I missed the whole train on the Wii U. Didn't play Mario Maker 1, never got around to it. Uh, you know, by all, by well, not all accounts, many accounts, one of the best titles you could have owned for the Wii U had you owned one, and uh, that intrigued me. So I thought, well, let's see what this is about, and uh, I ordered Just two, to reorder just to be yeah. clear for the people who don't know what it is, it's really self-explanatory, but Mario Maker is a game where you can create Mario levels in a variety of different ways. Um, and yeah, that's what it is. So if you want you to. have very granular control over the kind of levels you make, like literally block by block, brick by brick, uh, lots of triggers and situational mechanics that you can apply to things, pipes that you can go into and appear in other places. Um, pretty much no limits like you can make the craziest mario level you've ever had in your head and you can do it in one of five styles uh it used to be four now it's five so basically you can do it in original super mario brothers looking 8-bit nes style you can do it in mario 3 style which is still nes but you know some improvements there uh you can do it in super mario world which was the super nes game that's that's the one I see the most of, by the way. Lots and lots of that's people a, doing it. Super a, Mario it's World. the most well-known one and most beloved one, I think. So I think so too. Um, but, for a lot of people, it is. Then and then you got uh, this the new Super Mario look, which is you know 3D on a 2D plane. And then one of the options is the new one, which is Super Mario 3D Land style, which isn't exactly 3D. It's still kind of locked into a plane. But there's a lot of nifty stuff they throw in there, like uh, these transportation tubes and just stuff you can't get in the other styles. But you can build entire levels on these styles and in these different looks, and they can be easy to moderate to really difficult, um, crazy switches and and physics things going on that even Nintendo didn't consider when they put these tools in there. And I think and then, that's one of the one of the concerns. Sorry, I'm interrupting, but I have to jump in. In Mario Maker 1, uh, you essentially were presented with a, a tool and immediately jumped into, maybe you had a couple of levels to teach you how it worked, but then you would jump into pre-made levels by other uh, uh, users and it was 
very gimmicky. Some of them were insanely difficult. Some of them you would make crazy things with your character by only pressing right continuously until the end of the level. And it felt like it was very extreme level design. And so it wasn't very enjoyable for me. Um, and that's yeah, my fear there's here. Still, there's still some of that, obviously. And and certainly in the early days, you know, when, when stuff's being made and it's all new and things are rising to the top, you kind of have a little bit of a hit and miss going on. Here's what makes the game, I think, more enjoyable for people that may have been put off by that in the first place. Um, I happen to like the creativity of it. And if I'm, if I'm level stupid, I'll just get out and try another one. Um, it's still good at all those things. But what I like about this game is Nintendo very smartly decided to put a story mode in it. And the story mode is 100, it essentially equates to 100 levels made by Nintendo for you to play through in a story mode that has you rebuilding Hyrule, or not Hyrule Castle, uh, what's her name's castle? Uh, Princess Peach's castle. Peach, yeah. Because it all got blown up. And uh, it's humorous and the lines are hilarious. I don't know if they're, I don't know who wrote this thing, but it's super funny. Uh, you you basically, it's a series of missions and you do these missions in these different styles of levels and they're all cur curated and created by Nintendo. Um, and they have this added creative bonus that if you really get stuck and die too many times, uh, Luigi shows up and says, hey, you can put some of the maker tools in here if that'll help you. Mm. And so you can take an existing level, pause it and drop a block somewhere that'll help you get to a higher height you can't seem to jump to or whatever. It's, it's almost so like... Is it is yeah. it the equivalent of an actual Mario game on top of the maker things, or, or yes, is it not quite that's there? What I, that's what I'm trying to get at, mm. get at. Is yes, it is 100 percent that, and that's why I think it's a, a much greater value mm. uh, for people than they're expecting. That story mode alone is really good, professional, awesome level design that is also inspirational and makes you go, "Oh, th if this level can do what I just saw it do, that means I could make a level that did that." Mm. it's 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 kind of it's kind of like that it kind of draws you to to make you uh, want to make cool stuff just by playing it but if all you did was just play these because you were just hankering for more mario action they've given it to you in a big story mode and that's the big significant change this time around and i think it's great i think that is a cool really smart choice by nintendo i might have to consider getting into that yeah, it's pretty um, neat. The last thing I want to talk about very quickly is uh, last episode after E3, I think we both mentioned we got uh, the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Um, and I'm sure we've both been diving into the games that this subscription service offers us. Uh, and that will make a good bridge to our last topic. <laughs> but um, I've played a lot of games from that service. I've tried a ton of things I would never have tried otherwise. And um, I, I, the, the game I actually played all the way through the end is the most unexpected thing uh, ever, I think, for me. Um, I actually played to the end of Gears of War 4, which is a game that came out a few years ago. Um, not very well reviewed at the time. And I think it's not a great game. It is um, extremely old uh game design it's essentially the same as gears of wars uh, gears of war one which is over 10 years old uh by this point and 
it, but still, I, I enjoyed the, the story was kind of fun or not really, but the characters were uh, uh, enjoyable. Um, the gameplay mechanic was mindless and repetitive in a way that I uh, liked. Um, I wanted to see where it went and how it transitions into that strange um trailer for Gears uh, 5 that we've seen at E3 and that we saw last year as well with the character Kate being in a very uh, uh, different place and uh, it was comically disappointing at the end because the game essentially ends at the end of a sentence or almost in the middle of a sentence uh, the end is completely underwhelming it, it says nothing about what's happening with that character um, but still I enjoyed it I never would have expected um, and I'm ready for Gears 5 which will be included in the game pass when it comes out uh, this fall so that's the game I played out of all the games that are available on game pass yeah, so the two I installed were um, I installed uh, State of Decay two. I'm enjoying that, and I installed and played a lot more of uh, Forza Horizon four. That game nice. is great. Might be the I, best racing game ever made. I think maybe. If you like that kind of open world games, uh, certainly they've refined the formula. Um, very very well i also played on rush i'm not going to say a lot about it uh, but it is included in the game pass i would recommend you try it um it's fun yeah, this is the one where you're not really there's no finish line you're just always kind of keeping up with each other and trying to win by knocking each other out or whatever right exactly yeah and you have different rules you have like you have to boost more than the others you have to pass uh, uh poles that give you time uh, uh and and your time you know diminish diminishes and the first team that reaches the zero has lost it is very interesting very original um and it's too bad that it it didn't catch on i think it, i understand why it didn't because it wasn't a, a full enough game but the core of it is really interesting i i wouldn't be surprised if another version of this came out uh, by the same uh, team at codemasters in the same way that there was a precursor to uh, rocket league and rocket league kind of took the world by storm when it came out as part of playstation plus so a lot of people got it um this seems like a formula ripe for something like that if they work on it a little bit more yeah um, i agree that's but give it a try uh, it's neat uh game pass so far i'm i like it a lot i think it's really cool there have been a couple of weird things where it's still in beta but where a game says it's included in pc game pass and then i go to download it and it says can't download it mm. it's not available on this platform which is weird so there's there's some stuff like that, but it's it's you know we're in the beta period. I'm yeah. only paying fifty five bucks for it. It's fine. Well, that brings us into our last uh, topic, which is kind of putting together things we've been discussing for the past few months. But I think with this last E3, um, we're starting to see a more co cohesive picture of um, how the different trends are going to form the the future of the industry. Um, as I mentioned, the article I, I published last week talks about this as 
what the industry is going to become in 2020 and beyond, I think that might be a little bit optimistic. Um, I think this might be where we end at the end of the next generation, if there is an end, if there are more different consoles in the future. I think there might be, but we'll see. And there are three components to uh, that, that picture. The first one is subscriptions, uh, subscription services, which are everywhere. The second one is streaming services, uh, also apparently coming to every uh, platform. And uh, the third one is controller uh, compatibility on iOS. And I'll elaborate on that um, a little bit further. The first element is subscriptions. And I think the important thing to understand is that the subscription subscription services have a potential for um, benefiting everyone. Because as, as we've mentioned a few times, every player in the industry, customers get a really good deal. Um, it is a, a good price for a lot of content. And I think a lot of people will uh, go for that option, especially in the core gamer market. Um, people who are outside of it might not be interested, and that's fine. And you still have the option of going with a subscription or, or buying your games one at a time. Uh, publishers, of course, get um, the, the assurance that they're going to get money on a regular basis. I think one of the driving forces behind uh, subscription services is that publishers or companies in general would much rather get a small amount of money from you every month uh, until you decide to stop rather than having to convince you to spend a larger amount of money um, every six months or so. And that's the system they have currently um, for games. They have to convince you every six months to spend 60 bucks on their games. Whereas here, Five bucks a month, if you have it, five or ten bucks a month, it might be a little bit more even. But if you have enough content, enough good content, um, you might think, well, eh, I'll just stay subscribed. I won't bother stopping and starting again, just like you do with Netflix. Um, the last component is developers. And I think a lot of people have concerns about what these services do for the value of games and uh, developers not being able to sell their games at a premium price if uh, the, the, the perception becomes, well, everything's included in my subscription, why would I pay for something? And I think there are a lot of uh, things to say there. The first one is not everyone will be subscribed. As a reference, PlayStation Plus is a service that only has a a third of the PlayStation installed base uh, subscribed. And PlayStation Plus is essential to playing online. So there are still going to be a lot of people who are not subscribed uh, to subscription services, even if they are a good deal. Um, the second is those subscription services need content, and that will give a publisher an incentive to sign uh, uh, developers to create content for them. I, I take in my article the example of companies like Motion Twin or Matt Makes Games, uh, which developed um, Dead Cells and Celeste last year, those games will be fought uh, uh, about with the publishers fighting to get them on their service. Um, so that is a way, another way of getting uh, revenue, another avenue for revenue for those uh, publishers. Um, there's also the fact that with these services, a lot of people will try games they wouldn't have tried otherwise and get money to the developers that way. And again, uh, 
the core gamers that will subscribe to those, I don't think they're going to stop buying games entirely. If there's one game that is in none of their subscriptions, if they have more than one, and it's really hot and, and uh, getting a lot of good reviews, I think they might still go out and, buying, and buy it individually. Um, so that's my analysis of subscriptions. At this point, do you have anything uh, to agree with or disagree with? I don't have any, I think you're right, uh, kind of up and down the board. And I also think you're right about the impact. And I also think the impact will directly affect a broader base of players than it, than it would the, the current base of players. I mean, we're already, the industry is already a, a broadening industry. It's no longer uh, so niche and, you know, it's not just for kids or, or enthusiasts or anything anymore. There's a lot of people playing games in a lot of different ways on a lot of devices and it crosses gender gaps and things that it didn't used to. And so I think that everything you've detailed in here is a reflection of that growth. Mm. And this is designed to be convenient, simple solutions for people looking to get their game fix without a lot of resistance. Like this is just a lot of convenience. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're, um, you're talking about, are you talking about streaming or just subscriptions? Streaming, subscriptions, all of it. Right. Like, so if people look at like what their life was like before Netflix, think of that. But for gaming, it's out of sight, out of mind. You pay a thing, you do a thing. Like, we're just moving toward that in general. Now, it's got obviously that's a little more complex than that because these all these services are pretty diverse. But, uh, but these are we are definitely entering that phase of games as a service, not as a I got to get in my car, go to a store, look at a shelf. <laughs> Buy yeah. a thing. It's that's going away. Well, so you're skipping ahead a little bit because you're including uh, streaming in that uh, 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 description, and certainly they the two work together. But it's important to remember that subscriptions don't need streaming uh, as well. They're conflated a lot of the times, but the the subscriptions themselves as i mentioned benefit everyone so i think they're kind of inevitable and they are going to happen and i think they're going to be uh, uh successful for all of those reasons uh the streaming which makes all of this a lot easier is the second part of this and you're completely right um i i'm not going to detail again what it does for core gamers i think a lot of people think uh streaming is not for them because they are thinking about the possibilities uh, that it affords. Well, they're thinking about what they're doing now and, and not seeing what uh, streaming uh, does for them. What they're not seeing is what streaming will enable them to do differently. Things like try a game that's included in your subscription without having to install it if it's just a game you want to play for 10 minutes. Um, trying a game that is available on a competitor's platform that you don't have a console for um, and, and just trying it out because it's the hot thing at the moment. And between this and subscriptions, um, you're right. It's going to make things a lot easier for a lot of people. Uh, and Google plays a role in that. I think we mentioned it in our E3 episode. Um, we were surprised that Google is not... Um, uh, doing a subscription service with their Stadia streaming service. But uh, uh, again, maybe we mentioned it, but the idea I think for Google is to become the uh, streaming service provider for every other uh, developer, every other publisher. So Ubisoft, EA, Bethesda, 
2K, maybe uh, anyone could go to them and have uh, their subscription service on Stadia, meaning their subscription service becomes a dual service. You can install the games on PC or play the game streaming anywhere you want. Um, so again, that makes streaming a, uh, a great convenience for every kind of player and that includes uh casual players and core players and everyone and it makes it a lot it breaks down the bar barriers as you said um and i'll just finish on this breaking down the barriers even more is controllers and i'm talking about ios because ios uh, is going to enable you to connect xbox and playstation 4 controllers um, to all their devices and more most importantly the apple tv um, which means this is the last it, it, the problem with ios games and any mobile game is that it's difficult to get a good control scheme of course if it's a mobile first game then it's fine because you have the on-screen controls but for traditional console type games um it doesn't work just the 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 on-screen controls aren't good and controllers are what you need for those and now it's going to be available on all ios devices um it is already available on uh, Android devices. So what that means is that it's going to be available everywhere. Um, your phone, your TV, your set-top box, your computer, you will be able to play these games very easily everywhere. You don't need to buy a console. You don't need to buy a an expensive PC. You just plug in a controller, buy one if you need to, but most people already have a controller there. Um, and you can start playing. And what that means for the incumbents is the most interesting thing, I think. For Sony, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. I'll I'll finish. No, I, just, I just agree. I'm sorry, it was just a grunt of agreement. I think you're I think that's gonna be super interesting. <laughs> and the where it gets really interesting, I think, is what it does for the incumbents. Microsoft wants to be everywhere, right? They're they're already uh saying we want to be everywhere. Sony is still on a uncertain path uh but they are going to have to compete uh with a a, a, a microsoft service uh, let's say halo 17 comes out you have sony uh console owners which are curious about uh that halo game in the past or in the current situation, what they had to do to try that Halo game was buy an Xbox console. That was a huge barrier to entry. In the streaming future, with controllers everywhere and the possibility of playing it anywhere, really all they need to do is turn on their TV, launch the uh, Xbox app, and start streaming the game and playing. So... These games from competitors are going to be available to every gamer e everywhere. So there's going to be no barrier to entry, to, which leads me to the impossible conclusion that I think it's not impossible for Microsoft to put their service on a Sony, Sony console. Because looking at it from Sony's point of view, your customers already have access to Microsoft's games, right? They can turn on their, their Android set-top box, their TV maybe, their Apple TV, and start playing it streaming. Is it better to bury your hand in, head in the sand and say, no, this is not happening, this is not happening, whatever, or 
bring Xbox on PlayStation and uh, have them, you know, t get a cut of that money that is going to go to Microsoft anyway. So this is still kind of, you know, I don't think it's necessarily going to happen. Uh, I just think it might happen. But this is kind of the conclusion of all of these things coming together and transforming the industry. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think your theories are good. I mean, I, it does sound crazy today to ever think that that kind of cross that kind of cross pollination would actually happen. Like not to, it ain't going to be today, but all of these things seem to lead toward a more homogenized industry that is just play what you want, wherever you want with whoever you want. And that's, yeah, a, yeah this is I, the start of all that. I think I'd like you to try and debunk my reasoning on that Xbox streaming service on a Sony console. Like, is it, right. The, the way I explain it, I think it makes sense, you know, Sony gamers are going to be able to turn on their TV and play Microsoft games anyway, so might as well put it on the Sony console and get, you know, whatever, a third of, or, of the money or 20% of the money. Does that make sense? Or am I being crazy? And if I'm being crazy, I, I, there has to be something that means I'm crazy, right? This is too weird. Uh, yeah. What do you think? I, I mean, it does seem weird, but honestly... <laughs> I mean, a lot of things could change, but I feel like mm. you're on the right path. Like that's where we're headed, whether we like it or not, whether Sony, Microsoft or any other major platform holder likes it or not, we are heading toward a, a future that they, they're there. And you can see, you can feel it. You can feel them getting their heads around it and figuring out what their place is in it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. It's really fun to watch. Well, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, I think that might be a end of the like five years uh, lookout rather than uh, when the next generation of consoles uh, actually just come out next year. Um, but it might look something like that, more or less. It's interesting because Sony just announced our PlayStation 5 is going to be geared, uh, uh, sorry, uh, um, specifically engineered for core gamers we don't care about anyone else we want to focus on gamers and i think that's absolutely true for the hardware for the console it's going to be that um and they're going to focus on the market they say oh it's almost niche yes of course but they're also going to have everything else and i think the uh, streaming service that will inevitably be improved over PlayStation Now, um, streaming subscription service, is going to be a product that is going to be geared towards a lot of other people. Um, yep. So, I don't know. Yep. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, that was, uh, I hope, interesting to you, both in the game and analysis part of the show. Um, as I mentioned, we're probably not going to have an episode in uh, August. So we'll be back for uh, a Gamescom roundup uh, towards the end of August, early September. Until then, Scott, where might people go if they want more gaming goodness from you or other goodness? Well, if they want more gaming goodness or other goodness, like you said, they can go to frogpants.com. There's a couple of shows on there. Uh, one is called Core. The other is called Boop. We cover video games from different perspectives of different hosts, different kinds of uh, focuses on those shows. So there'll be something for somebody. Uh, do go check those out. There is a podcast version, of course. We put it on YouTube and lots of other ways to get it. That's over at frogpants.com. And you can follow my daily musings at Scott Johnson on Twitter. Amazing. For me, it's not Patrick, 
one word, not Patrick, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and you can uh, subscribe to my gaming podcast called Pixels. Very easy to remember as well. Just search for it in your podcast app. And there you go, Pixels. Um, and that's it. We'll be back in a little while. And until then, have a lovely summer or winter if you're down south. Let's not forget our friends in the southern hemisphere. We'll talk to you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye.